Amen. All right. Romans 8. You know what? I'm going to let you be seated for just a minute. And then I will... uh... I've been debating on have you whether to stand or not stand because I'm going to read the whole the whole chapter. But let's let's go back before we read the chapter. Let's go back and do our review. Amen. Romans eight. So chapter one, chapter one was clear to bring us where Paul says I'm introducing the gospel of Christ and where we're going to start is everybody's a sinner, everybody's wicked. Everybody's a sinner. And if you want to go back and read chapter 1, I would encourage you to. No one is exempt from the, the truth that all are sinners. In chapter 2, he has to begin, you know what, I wonder if I should even back up again. Because I, especially for what's coming up in 9, 10, and 11, it's important that we remember why he wrote the book of Romans. Okay? You, all, you all remember that this time period is when the, the, all the Jews, Christians and Believing and unbelieving Jews alike had all been kicked out, of essentially, of, of Rome, but it seems to be maybe all of Italy, by the emperor Caligula. Okay, so for about five years, and the reason was there was a bunch of back and forth between believing Jews, unbelieving Jews, causing enough of a fuss that it came to the emperor's attention, and he said, fine, you're all gone. Yeah, but we don't, I don't care, you're all gone, get out. Okay, so the law sunsetted about five years after that he made this, this decree, uh, which is interesting. I guess he thought maybe after five years they'd learn their lesson, and apparently they did. So you've got five years where the believing churches in Rome are predominantly Gentile. Well, they're all Gentile. There's no Jews unless they're hiding somehow. So these are, these are completely um, Gentiles. They're going to be primarily uh, primarily ignorant, and I don't mean... I don't mean uh, stupid, I mean ignorant, as in they did not know the laws. They were not raised under the laws like the Jews were, okay? So, you know, the Jews knew the scripture, they knew the laws, and it was, that's was part of what was creating this whole conflict. And so now for five years, you've got these churches that are being run primarily from maybe other letters from other apostles and by believers who are Gentiles. And after five years, the, the Jews start filtering back into Italy and, of course, Rome, and to remember that this isn't the day of modern highways. I mean, the best you got is a Roman highway, and you should just go look them up. They were the coolest thing of their day, and there's still some in existence. But, you know, it's not exactly 80 miles an hour. It's still going to take uh, sometimes many years for people to return to the place where they were, uh, some for at least a year, some many months. But, and it's going to take time, to, that whole process. So, the Jews, the believing Jews are filtering back in and they're wanting to rejoin these churches and are rejoining. And at this point, they don't want to get kicked out again like normal humans. We don't want to have a big fuss and get kicked out again. And so there is a desire, as there should be with believers, for the Jews and the Gentiles to dwell in unity in their church. That's what the desire was. So, Paul, in writing the book of Romans, is helping to take these two sides and bring them together under the truth of one gospel. One gospel. Not two different gospels. Not one gospel for the Gentiles and one gospel for the Jews, but under the one biblical truth, the gospel that Jesus preached and the apostles taught. So, and he starts off with that basic truth. Number one, everybody is a sinner. Everybody. Now the Jews have an automatic argument. Well now wait. We are the children of Abraham and to the children of Abraham there's all these promises. That's their automatic response. So in chapter 2 Paul spends this time telling the Jews yes you had the law but that did not make you righteous. Which any Jew should have actually known if they were honest even with themselves and truthfully honest with the Old Testament because the Old Testament also makes the same case. Okay, And then in chapter 3 he moves on to say no man 
is made righteous by the law or works. Now, why would he say that? Because to the Jews, the Gentiles could have accomplished the same thing if they also would have begun to keep all the laws and try to seek righteousness. And chapter 3, Paul plainly says, no, it's not by obeying the law that any person gains righteousness. It's not by any works. And I'm going to give you some verses. Romans 3, 20 and 21, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law, he says, is the knowledge of sin. We looked at that some later. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. And he says it was even witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now if you've been reading through your Old Testament, especially some of you have been following the Bible reading calendar, you'll see some of those statements in those latter part of the minor prophets where, where even Ezekiel, I think, and Isaiah and possibly Jeremiah and some of the minor prophets begin to talk about this righteousness that is necessary outside of the law. But that's, that's a whole other set of messages we'll preach through someday. So chapter 3 uh, begins to teach the idea directly that it's not by works, it must be by faith. Verse 28 of chapter 3, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, chapter 4 is an illustration to tell the Jews, to help them understand why this is true by the life of Abraham. Because they called themselves children of Abraham. That's what made them, quote-unquote, righteous. And there are some things that passed to the Jews through the covenants, through the line of Abraham, and no, I can't answer all those questions, because uh, frankly, I don't know. We'll just have to find out how God deals with some of that. 9, 10, and 11 will help us there. But he goes back to Abraham and he says, listen. He says, Abraham did not gain God's righteousness because of his circumcision, which is what they kind of assume. Circumcision being an early testament, kind of a, a precursor imprint to the law, if you will. It was Abraham's, Abraham's the way they saw it was his personal submission uh, to the coming law, if you will, the law of Moses. And, of course, what he reminds them is, is that's not how the story goes. It says he believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and then the result was, the, the, the outside symbol was circumcision. It wasn't the cause of him gaining the righteousness. It was, it was an outside symbol separating him from those in the world who were not. So he says, listen, grace came prior to all those things you're calling the law, and with that grace came God's righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, chapter 5 then answers the next question. So, what was the whole purpose of the law then? I mean, God did all this stuff and gave, gave us the law. I mean, if, if there's no difference, I mean, why did God even be, give it to begin in the first place? And so chapter 5 is the answer to that question, saying, listen, the law had to be in existence among mankind. Why? Because man had to know the extent of his own sinfulness. And that's the purpose of the law. Uh, we've talked about this before, and I, I can't... I can't go back and pre-preach it, but if you think that it was the eating of a forbidden fruit that caused the whole fall of all mankind, you missed the point. You missed the point. It'd be wise to go back and and read. It it was the choice and the motives behind the eating of the fruit, the eating and the disobedience, which also is the choice and the motives behind every sin of mankind. But anyways, we'll just keep right on rolling. Romans 5.21 uh, we get, we're reminded that sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. He begins again that shift that there's a difference, the old Adam and the new Jesus. And then in chapter 6, <clears throat> he begins to tell us that grace, because, you know, if the law is, is quote-unquote irrelevant, it was just there to help us understand what sin was. And then, and then in chapter 5, you know, it's, you know, hey, there had to be a difference between the old man and the new man. And then chapter 6, the result is, well, then, okay. So if the law, you know, if the law is what kind of helps us understand that, uh, that grace is coming, and if, you know, grace abounds, sin that's more abound, then, man, let's just go sin. 
the more we sin, then we can have more grace, you know, or, you know, thank the Lord I don't have to change myself because, you know, whatever I sin, there's just going to be more. And, and in chapter 6, he says, no, no, grace is not introduced to men so that they could just sin without ever feeling the consequences. That, that wasn't the point. The point seems to be that sin is, oh, the, the point of all of chapter 6 is, seems to be to point us that for those who are believers, those who are believers after the example of Abraham, who believed, okay, they believed, that sin is not their nature any longer. It's not the nature of a believing person. A Christian, their nature should not be one of known sin. Well, that's a sinner. They must be a Christian. Everybody here? And chapter 6 was written to say, no, no. <laughs> no, there are people, and there's still today, there are people that say, well, it doesn't matter what I do because I've got grace. That's exactly what Romans 6 was, to, was in there to say, no, you missed the point still. It's not about, I can just do whatever I want. I got grace. Now, Romans 6 says, no, that's not the nature of a believer. Okay? So then, <clears throat> uh, the next natural question then would bring us to the point of, okay, well then, if, if, you know, sin, you know, is not the nature of a believer, well then obviously the pendulum should swing to the other side, right? And if it's not sin, then it must be the law. Or I guess I went this way, didn't I? So then the law must be the nature of the believer. That, that's how that's supposed to be. Well, in, in chapter, because you remember, you've got the Gentiles on one side, the Jews on the other, and he's trying to bring them together under one unified gospel. So verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7 deals with the question of if <clears throat> shouldn't we be trying then to keep the law? Would, shouldn't that be the nature of the believer? And chapter 7 verses 1 through 6 answers that question. No, that's not the nature of a believer either. So no, my nature is not to be a complete sinner and you know, just you know, thank God for grace, just roll along through life and say, oh well, I've got grace. And at the same time, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7 say, a Christian's focus also is not to be, I've got to keep the law. If I'm going to be, a good, if I'm going to be righteous, I've got to make sure I keep the law. And Paul says, no, that's not it either. It says the argument that you all have been having, both sides are using the wrong base for the argument. You've created, essentially, I don't know if this is the proper term, I think it is, but you've created a false dichotomy. You say it has to be one or the other, and Paul is telling you it's neither. It's neither one. <clears throat> Amen. Now, <clears throat> At the rest of chapter, oh, I didn't bring the notes in for that one. So the rest of chapter 7, Paul begins to describe the condition of a believer on the planet, okay? And you remember he closes out with, well, I want to do this and then I don't do it. And I know I should do that, but I don't. I know I shouldn't do that, but I do. Said, oh. And he closes out the chapter 7 by saying in verse, um, uh, let's go back to uh, verse 22. Or no, verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, not evil as in the devil. You know, we, we all get this picture like the devil um, is omnipresent. I'm serious. We, we sometimes think that, well, you know, it was the influence of the devil on me. Probably not. I, I'm pretty sure looking at all of us here in Jerome, Idaho, everybody in the room, that the devil's not actually personally interested enough to be personally present here to affect one of us. Seriously, do you think out of all the world stage that you're so important that the devil himself would show up? You don't think he's got some better things to do? Come on, let's be honest. Well, yeah, but he's got demons. There are some things he doesn't have to worry about because you still live in the flesh. And the flesh, the flesh this stuff, okay, don't, don't start thinking some weird fourth spirit that lives around. No, it's your flesh. It's your body. It's the natural inclinations and desires of the body, which includes the thinking portion of your body called the, the brain. The brain. I, I would say specifically the brain. To me, and this is just one of my, so step out, one of my personal opinion things, because it's one of those things we'll never really know for sure, but our spirit and our soul and our body seem to me to be connected in what we would call the mind. Okay, And so things get a little screwy because your thinking portion of your brain is fleshly and yet that's also the part that is, is hopefully being controlled by the Spirit. So stay with me, everybody with me? So, so he's, he begins to describe this nature of the believer saying, listen, you've, you now have this uh, weird 
problem as a believer is that you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. You're a believer, and you know, you know, you know I'm not supposed to be a sinner, but I'm, you know, at the same time, I'm not supposed to keep the law, but I'm still, I mean, I can't just act however I want. There has to be some, there's got to be something in here, and he begins to say, yeah, he said, the spirit inside of you wants to please God. It wants to do right, but the flesh part of you wants no part of it. He said, and your whole believing, the whole rest of your life in this flesh, on this planet, is going to be one of battle, conflict. Now listen, listen to what he says. And he says, I delight in the life of the law of God after the inward man, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man, un- as miserable, O miserable man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body, the body of this death? What is he talking about? This body. And who's going to help me escape this thing? Because it's got a, I mean, I think we all can attest the fact that our sinful flesh has a pretty strong hold on what we do and what we don't want to do. How many excuses have, I'll just say this, how many excuses have we all made and are we going to make just in the next month and have made over the last few weeks about what we are and aren't eating. <laughs> I mean, it's the holiday season. Okay, just, we'll just keep rolling on right there. But anyways, and he says this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And now he begins to point them to the right answer to both those other questions. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he admits, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He said that I am, I am going to live this life in battle mode. There's going to be conflict. My life is going to be, as a, as a believer on this planet, a, a, a life of conflict. Now, <clears throat> that's not incredibly encouraging, is, is it? Can we just be honest? It's one of those things you hear and you're like, I think I can deal with that. You know, because what heaven's coming, praise the Lord, and that is what we should focus on. And now in chapter 8, it's as if he's turned now away from the, uh, the honest and the truthful reality and the dealing with both sides. And now in chapter 8, I'm telling you, chapter 8 is one of the most encouraging chapters I think I have listened to or read in, in a long time. And I'm, I've been enjoying, there's some incredible ones I've been studying through. I might even preach out of Psalm uh, 42, not before too long. It just really, uh, it's been a help to me personally. But I want to read now chapter 8, if I can. Because the problem is, we know we're still sinners, don't we? So can anybody with me? We know we're still sinners. When we feel that, con- that conflict, that's why Paul uses the word wretched. And it, it's, a, it's a very strong word about how miserable he is feeling about this whole thing. Because I still feel guilty. I said feel. I still feel condemned. I still feel as if, I mean, you know, does, has anybody ever had the time in your life when you know you've done wrong, and you really think that God should be doing a little bit more than he is. <laughs> like, I really deserve a lot worse than this. <laughs> because we feel it, okay? Now listen, and I'm just kind of starting, but let me, let me try. I'm going to do my best to read chapter 8 um, as if, as best I can understand, as if Paul was saying it himself. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. See that? He puts it all under one unified thing. For what the law could not do, what's that? What could the law not do? Give me righteousness. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. (coughs) For they that are after the flesh 
do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that hath raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba. That's like Papa. That's a very endearing term. Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the, which, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Remember verse 1, no condemnation. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woof! I'm telling you, you start paying attention to what's being said there. Paul's saying, yes, there's going to be a struggle, but I don't know if you know this. God's on our side. (laughs) God is on our side. There is No condemnation. Praise the Lord. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the day, Lord. I pray that you would, 
Lord, help this chapter be a great encouragement to us, Lord, to help us see that while there is a battle, we are not, we are not subject to loss in the battle. Well, thank you for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So, I, man, I've looked at this. I've, I've, I've named the title More Than Conquerors. We could look at it and call it The Great Benefits of the Believer. This whole chapter is divided into four or five just great, great, unbelievable benefits that are directly to the believer. And that's where we're going to look. But I want to look back at chapter 8 because, I'm sorry, verse 1, because this is where we get a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion about this, okay? So when people read chapter 1, or chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, they, they want to apply it like they do the judge not, you know, uh, verses. Which, by the way, don't say what most people use them for because we are actually called to do some judging in, in this world. But he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. <clears throat> this is a narrow definition. We want to apply it to, you know, anybody that makes me feel bad for what I'm doing. No, you can't condemn me. You're missing the point of the verse. Because the verse, the, condemn, the word condemnation is a legal term. Okay? It's a legal term. In other words, inside, <clears throat> inside of the courtroom of the book of Romans, of where Paul has been building his case, he's saying, listen, for those who are believers, there's going to be no bad sentence from God the judge. The word condemnation means an adverse sentence. In other words, when we stand before God as believers, it's not talking about other humans. It's talking about our standing before God himself. And he says, before God himself, there's no condemnation. After he just got done saying, I'm a conflicted, miserable man, and I know I still sin, Paul turns right around and says, but let me tell you something. When you stand in front of God, no condemnation. No bad sentence. God's not going to get up there and say, well, I, I wanted to pronounce you innocent, and you did believe Jesus, but I just can't get over the stuff you've done. No, that's not what's going to happen. No condemnation means no condemnation. The God, the judge, when you stand before him, no matter the battle you live on this planet, (coughs) when you stand before God, there's not going to be an innocent with caveats. I declare you innocent, but a few clauses we'll have to deal with. No, no condemnation means no condemnation. And he says, now to them which are in Christ Jesus, and then he, he puts in this little clause, which I like, it's kind of interesting. He says... Uh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, that's kind of an interesting clause. I mean, it's, you understand what a clause is in a legal document, right? It's, the, you know, it's those, the phrases that you add at the end of a contract that make amendments or adjustments or exceptions to whatever has just been said. It's kind of an interesting thing that he's putting here because we are in the realm of believers who are seeking to find what is the right path I'm supposed to walk. Is it the path of the law or our sin and just freedom to sin, do whatever I want? Or is it the path of trying to do, you know, do this? And he says, no. He says, both of those are the wrong answer. There's only one direction, and that is to walk after the Spirit. Now, why does he not say that there's no condemnation? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. The truth is the truth. When we stand before God in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, sub, in the subject of our guilt, our innocence, and entry to heaven and peace with God, believers are innocent. That has been declared. God paid the payment. There's nothing else. But there are some principles that still apply on the planet. Not necessarily rules, because God seems to break those particular rules all the time. Now, you know, uh, for instance, you understand what a law is, right? If I drop the glass, what happens? Or if I let go of the glass, excuse me. We call it drop. It's actually interesting. We don't drop anything. We let go of it. And then gravity takes hold. You know what I'm saying? We let go of it. So is that a principle or a law? This is pretty uniform over all of the earth, correct? Okay, that's a law. A principle. And it's one I'm glad is a principle, but I used to reference, and I used to say, the law of sowing and reaping. I, I called it a law. But it's not a law. It's a principle. Has a farmer ever sown his field and not got a crop from it? 
How about the Great Depression, anybody? It's a, it's a general principle by which God functions on the planet. Is everybody with me? So, the law of sowing and reaping. Has anybody here uh, sown some stuff that you're very glad you didn't reap for? Has anybody here sown some stuff that you, you absolutely reaped for? Good and bad. You know what I'm talking about? So it's not a law, it is a principle. So it's one of those things, I wonder if some of what he's saying here applies to some of that. When we're talking about principles, is no condemnation. Yes, God is not going to judge us. There's no judgment going to come from God. Um, uh, you understand adoption, even in the United States. If, if someone adopts a child, they are not allowed to disinherit. It is illegal to disinherit an adopted child, unless they've changed that recently. Does everybody, does everybody understand that part? You're not allowed to disinherit an adopted child. I mean, they, they are your kid for your, forever and, and again. And we are adopted by Jesus Christ, and that is the law by which God functions. We cannot be removed from our adoption. We are children of God. There is nothing that can make me not a child of God. That doesn't mean that God may not be displeased with my actions and decide he's not going to show mercy this time. Has any parent, sometimes you see an issue in a situation and you choose to show mercy, and other times you don't. There is no mercy. But dad, nope. Sorry, you did wrong. So you're going to lose this and you're going to lose that or whatever else it is. You realize that those are adjustable. So sometimes I see some of that in there and I'm, I just, I'm, going to, I'm already spent too much time talking about it. But he puts this thing in there, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. He's making a case right off in chapter 8 where again, where he's beginning to talk about the nature of a believer is someone who does, they're not seeking to sin to gain grace. They're not seeking or righteousness because Righteousness comes with grace. And they're not seeking to do the law. What they're seeking is to just follow the Spirit. That's what it's saying. Now, before anybody starts going, oh, so we're supposed to like go some mystical waiting for some bump or movement from God. No. That's, that, that is very twisted. That's a matter of fact, that's a very almost demonic definition of how God would move. Because that's, that's how the devil would like us to answer, is to wait for some, you know, wait for some vision or, you know, voice in the dark. Or, you know, listen, God stopped functioning that way a long time ago. Matter of fact, I even, that, I would say, was very limited. No, God, God's already given us what he wants us to do. It's already here. Plus, we have a conscience. <laughs> but it's already here. We know. We already know what is right and wrong. People want to say, I just wish God would tell me what to do. He already has. He literally already has. That, you know, why does the preacher tell you to read your Bible? So what does it mean to walk after the flesh or walk after the spirit? Well, it's, it's really simple. Am I, going to do, am I going to let my flesh be in control? Or am I going to decide to just <clears throat> try to follow the spirit? Well, that's keeping the law. No, it's not about keeping the law. It's finding out. What does the Spirit want me to do? You know, it's very interesting. If I thought that marriage was all about law, it wouldn't last very long, would it? Well, I got to do this. I vowed, you know, I vowed that I would do this, this, and this when we got married. And by golly, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to keep my word. And boy, that's just a really great way to keep a marriage just thriving, right? Come on. Y'all aren't with it. So... Does, does it, some of you guys understand this and some of you don't. Uh, do any of you guys occasionally have a pile of clothes somewhere? Never do. Now, I, gotta, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good about cleaning up after myself most of the time. But there are occasions where you come home late and you leave early, and when you leave, it's still sitting there. My socks, you know, other stuff. It's still sitting there. You know, now, if I live by myself, I'm, not, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a neat freak than I. I think I couldn't quite stand it too long. But I, I know some guys, because I worked in the dean's office at a college, and I have been in those rooms where, wow, you open the door, <laughs> I'm not kidding. You think I'm kidding. 
Just ask anybody here who's lived in a dorm. It can be pretty impressive sometimes. And you walk in and you're looking around and there's food and clothes and, you know, and, and, but you know what happens when you get married? Does the wife want that hanging out there? No. Won't you leave all your dirty old stuff everywhere? So what does the guy do? Well, the law says, no, he loves his wife and out of a desire to be pleasing to her, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That would actually be the right thing to do. There's no law, but out of his own heart to be a blessing. He, it's the same thing that caused my wife to, over time, not put too much frilly and stuffed animals on the bed, but begin to realize that a male lives here too. You get the picture? And at some point, I, I get some places on the wall and in, in various rooms that show that a male actually lives here too. It's not just strictly a female. It, why, why does that happen? Because of, because of love. Because we are walk, we're not walking after a letter of the law. Are you with me? Now, just so you all know, that doesn't happen just because you said I do and the next day all switches. That's a lifetime of effort and work. Which, by the way, is the same point in chapter 8. It's a lifetime of effort and work. Who walk not after the spirit, but after the flesh. Well, what does that mean? That walking after. I love it. It's a law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's only for believers, but it's about life. And it says this. <clears throat> this will help you be freed from the law of sin, be free from the law of death. So we cover both sides. Because the law couldn't do it. It was weak. Jesus did it in his flesh. He's the one that made up the difference. And he says, so, <clears throat> you still live in the flesh, but you're walking after the Spirit. And here's what I have done for you. So not only have I said, there is going to be no guilt for your failures. So the chapter 7, miserable man, there is still no guilt. There will be no guilt from God, no adverse sentence for your failures. That's not taking away some of the consequences that have to be paid on earth. There is still some sowing and reaping that applies, okay? Does everybody understand? Is everybody with me? Okay. There's still some sowing and reaping that applies, but when it comes to my standing before God, no guilt. Now, so he says... Here's what I'm giving you is a new choice is to walk after the Spirit. Oh, and by the way, I didn't just stand up here on my throne and say, do this. No, I've decided to give you some help. You have the Spirit of God. So not only am I going to say no condemnation, I also know your heart that you, as believers, the, the nature of a believer should still be to please God. Amen. If the, nature, if the nature of a person who calls himself a believer is just to sin and to keep sinning, we have some questions. And if the nature of a believer is just to only keep the law and ever keep the law, I've got some questions. But if the nature of a believer is to please God, God says, I've sent you someone to help. Amen. I've sent someone to help. And he says, I love what he says here. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Man, I could, we could spend so much time and I don't want to, I'm trying to do as much of an overview as I can here, but let's get down to... Let's get down to the thing here. So let me just move on. Um, All right. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's kind of an interesting thing. After. Walk not after the flesh or after the Spirit. But we don't use those terms anymore. Okay? We don't use those ideas about after. Uh, What we think about after is this following. I'm following after. That's not quite what it means here. The idea is, is is we would actually probably use more the, the words according to or in alignment with. Maybe that would be another way to put it. So it, we, could, we would use these words, though, um, <clears throat> who walk not according to the flesh or in alliance with the flesh, but instead they walk according to or in, or in alignment with, alliance and alignment with the Spirit. Amen. So there's a choice here. How are you going to walk? And he says in verse 5, for they that are, listen, same thing, after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. Okay? Well, just clearly he says, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Okay? It, it is not in submission. That's what that means. The carnal, the carnal mind, this body, this fleshly body, is, is not in submission to God, and it can't be. Kind of an interesting thing, okay? 
So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, also be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. I was talking about believers. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's, well, I'm going to stop right there. That's getting uh, ahead of us. So <clears throat> I need two people here real quick. So, uh, brother, can you help me out, brother? <clears throat> and since you're here, <laughs> yeah. so can you stand here and you stand here? You're all black, so it's going to be perfect. <clears throat> Brother Daryl, since it's him, why don't you come? Can you do it? Okay. So, I as a believer have a choice. I need you to stand over here by him. I as a believer have a choice now in my life. I can walk in alliance with my flesh. What does that mean? Well, does the flesh want anything? Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. That's a good way to put it. The flesh wants everything. What, why is it that window shopping ends up being purchasing? It's dangerous to go start looking for a car because you're probably going to end up buying one whether you need it or not. Do you know what? I, does everybody? Listen, the flesh always wants. Does it not? The flesh wants protection. The flesh wants food. The flesh wants to be appealing to other people in the flesh. The flesh wants to be recognized by other people in the flesh. The flesh wants to have power over other people because it feels good. Are you following me? The flesh wants money because it feels good. The flesh wants food because it feels good. The flesh wants what it wants. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. The flesh wants what it wants, whatever culture. It don't matter if you're in the middle of a tribe in, 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 the, in the Amazon or whether you're in the, in the penthouse in New York City. The, the flesh always wants what it wants and will do whatever it can to get it. And if I walk in alliance with the flesh as a believer, I am letting the flesh take me where it wants to go. Are you hearing me? Now... <clears throat> Does God sometimes give us what we, what we want? Absolutely. It's kind of interesting how God works that. But the idea is my placing myself under the control of the flesh doing what it wants to do. And again, the flesh is pretty powerful, isn't it? Just as a reminder, try fasting for three or four days. See how much your flesh wants to be in control. Now, can you all swap around just a second? Now, I can walk would be after the Spirit. Now, I'm going to use it as a two-people thing just so you can kind of get, get the visual. It's because I, in my mind, in humans' minds, we always say bad and good. So, well, as a believer, I do want to do what God wants me to do. I do want to be, I do want to be like Christ. Now, here's the thing. When I, when I say I want to be like Christ, guess what I get? I guess I want you over here on this side getting your exercise in today. When I say I want to be like Christ and I lean this way, you know what I immediately get? The Holy Spirit. And all of the Holy Spirit's power to assist me in this endeavor. Now, listen to what it says. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know what we want as believers? We just want to be this neutral nothing and the Holy Spirit just to kind of grab us and make us do it. Well, God, why can't you just do it? What? Has anybody ever seen that? I just want to quit. God, why can't you just do it? And, and what, what the Lord is saying, what Paul's trying to teach us in this is, we have a choice who we are going to yield to. We are not neutral. We are never neutral. We are yielding, or we're walking in alliance with the flesh and all that it wants, or we are walking in alliance with the Spirit, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I get promised that assistance as soon as I make steps this way. How about, what does James say? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. What do we want? We want God to do all the work. We want him to do all the drawing and us to have to do nothing. Eh, what? No, it's actually not us that wants that. It's the flesh that wants that. Well, if I'm going to have to be better, he's got to do it. You hearing me? If I'm going to have to be a better Christian, then he's going to have to make me do it. Because I don't want to. Now, there's some, there's some, you hearing the battle going on? Why are we miserable people? But here's, here's what Paul's saying. Listen, even if you spend time, all, even if you spend your whole life as a believer yielding to this, which that would be very hard to understand how a believer could do that. 
and God not take him home. I don't know. But you can spend your whole life doing that. Even if you're a believer, if you're a true believer, when you stand before God, God's still going to say, no condemnation. No condemnation. That doesn't mean I'm not going to pay the price for his decisions while I'm here on the planet. But if this keeps happening, we just, want, we, just, we just want this not to grow. God can just take care of it, right? I think we all match. Well, you're looking a little better here. But you hear what I'm saying? Is everybody with me? It's like we want God somehow to stop the fork. Oh, who's in charge of the fork? Okay? But God promises, the moment I step over here, what do I have? I, Lord, I do want to do right. And now all of a sudden, and this is how, this is how the Lord described, how David described it. I'm trying to remember, if I'm not, I just lost it. But Dave, God said that he strengthened David, and it said over here too. When David went, he said his, his hands were bent so he could break a steel a bow. The idea is that when David went to do right, God's arms were on his arms, and he was able to fight in the strength of the Lord, like an exoskeleton, for those of you who understand what that is. Except for us, it's internal. I'm going to go do right, and suddenly I've got the strength of God behind me to do what I need to do. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Is everybody with me? We have a choice in this life. I have no condemnation, but now I've got this freedom, this amazing freedom, that without condemnation and without having to worry about God saying, oh, I've had enough of you. You're going to hell. Poof. No, I've got the promise of heaven. I've got, I've got the, the grace and wonder of Jesus Christ behind me. And now say, Lord, I want to do right. And immediately, all the power of God is behind me in helping me do right. Now, he's not going to force us. You know how that is. The God, he's not going to force us. He is going to put us in situations that make us grow because he's a good father. There are decisions that sometimes I look at my kids and they begin to say something and they begin to talk about something. And when they're young, I correct it. No, you're not going to do that. But as they get older, I begin to say, what do you think? What do you think? And as they even develop in longer, I don't step in. If they make, sometimes they make bad decisions and I let them. Why? Because they need to experience the results of those things too. Listen, it's, it's, that, it's that growth process. Flesh walking, flesh walking, doing what we want, is deadly. It's deadly. What, what is going to happen to the flesh at the end of this life? It's done. It's, listen, the only place this is going is to the grave and rottenness. But where's the spirit going? He's going to be with Jesus. Why would you want to live according to the dictates of something that is not eternal? Something that is only for itself and is only going to die and all the way out it's going to claw for its own desires. All the way out. Listen, I have sat with, I have sat with many believers who are on their deathbeds and watched them walk through death. And I have seen believers who have been greatly affected and they've been a great testimony all the way out. And I have sat with believers that at the very end, you didn't tell everybody what they said and what they did at the end. Why? Because they live in the flesh. The end result is the same. They both go to heaven. Is everybody with me? Amen. Flesh walking. I can be like-minded with the flesh, or I can be like-minded with the Spirit, with His desires, or with His desires. And flesh walking is deadly. It is dangerous. It's going to lead to things that lead to death. It is going to walk through things that are just, just as surely as Adam and Eve began the process of dying and did die on the day that they sinned is the same thing. When I choose to follow the, the flesh walk, I have chosen death as my companion. And yet when I turn to the Lord and I say, God... I can't keep the law, and I don't want to sin. I do want to do right. I just, Lord, if I could just please you, and immediately the Holy Spirit is there. And if I walk after his desires and his intentions and his leanings, the Bible says, let's see if I can find it. Verse 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And those those are both in the present tense. They are in the present tense. In other words, the moment I begin to seek God's will and, and I want to please God, so I make a choice to please God, the moment I am walking with the Spirit, I get life, not death, and peace. I feel the life 
I'm, I'm, I'm maybe being overly expressive here, but the things that I do go, tend towards life. And I have peace. Now, that's an interesting thing. You know what the word peace means? Rest. It means rest. I, I am astounded by the number of, uh, if, again, if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I know several of you took that challenge um, when I mentioned it. I know Brother Craig has. Uh, when you read those, you see some of those people who gave themselves to the Holy Spirit and they said, no, I'm gonna, I want to walk with God. I'm going to do right. They ended up on a stake uh, and burned. And in the middle of a stake being burned, they had peace. And that's astounding to me. I don't, that makes no sense to me, but God promised it. They'll be, they'll be burning from their feet up and preaching to the people listening, encouraging words and and stay straight and do right. I mean, just blows my mind. Spirit walking brings life, and it brings quietness. Fleshly inclinations, what are they going to do? They're just going to kill us. And you know what else happens? Look look at verse 7. We're just about done. We're going to have to be done. We're not going to make it to verse 16. It says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The moment I begin to walk with Mr. Blackshirt... (laughs) The moment I begin to walk with the flesh, I have chosen to place an enmity between God and myself. It's as if I have chosen the enemy of God to be my friend. Fleshly inclinations severely damage your relationship with God. I'm really doubting my salvation. Well, who have you been walking with? I'm telling you, it's as clear as a bell. Who have you been walking with? Is my relationship with my wife going to be damaged if I start taking another woman out to Red Lobster? Yeah. Is everybody with me? I know sometimes, I know sometimes that, that's overused, but you get the picture. It's a, it is a love relationship. It really is. And when I choose to walk with the enemy of God, there's a problem. There's a problem, and it's going to create a problem between me and God. And you know what? I might not feel God like I used to feel him. I may not feel like I'm saved. Well, yeah, because you've been walking with the enemy. If you're walking and hanging around with the enemy, guess who you don't see? Your friend. Amen. If, so, and it's clearly, clear as day, if you're doing that, you cannot please God. And then, but then he says this, and I love this, verse 9. He says, but that's not who you are. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And again, we're going back to this, the nature of a Christian. The nature of a Christian is not sin. The nature of a Christian is not the law. The nature of a Christian is not walking with the flesh. The nature of a Christian is to walk with the spirit. That's clearly what this verse is saying. Listen, if you are a believer, you have the spirit. You've got that power. You've got those inclinations. Just do what's there. You've already got the ability and the power to do it. The nature of a believer is someone who follows walking with the Spirit. Amen. And then he says, I'm just going to read it through now and we'll be done. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. It has no power. It's powerless. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit to dwell in you. What is he, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about resurrection. Hey, the God that raised up Jesus to new life, guess what he's going to do to you? He's going to raise up you. You're going to be a resurrected body one day. You are, the promise of the flesh is a future, the promise of the walking with the Spirit is a future perfection in the flesh. While the, the, the promise of the flesh is nothing but death. And he even says, he even continues that in the next verse. He says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So why would we invest in something that's not eternal? Again, I'm, I, we're going to have to quit right there. <coughs> but the excitement, the wonder of this, the first two parts of this chapter is this. There's no condemnation. A believer has the great benefit of, even though you're a wretched man, even though you have this sinful flesh and the, the desire to walk and not do it and the desire not to do it, and still I do it, God says, but don't worry, There's no condemnation. You're not going to get to heaven and have things change. It's done. It's settled. It's over. You are receiving no guilty sentence. Oh, 
What, what an immediate relief from God. Yes, I know you're imperfect, but it's not going to change the sentence. Yes, I know you're a miserable person and you're trying to do right and you can't, but you're not going to receive an adverse sentence. However, that being said, I have also given you the great power of the Holy Spirit. So that not only do you have no sentence, I also have given you the strength to live the life that you know you should. So guess what you need to do? Choose who you're going to walk with. It's not a legal battle. It's a choice. It's a choice. And it should really be applied to almost everything we do. Amen. Hmm. Now, would this be following what my flesh wants? Or would this be glorifying to God and be yielding to the Spirit? In everything that we do, there are people that would run to the law and make those decisions, and then they use that law to beat up everybody else who's not matching up the law. And that's not right. What I'm supposed to do is follow the Holy Spirit for me. That, again, this interesting thing, just as a simple illustration, but for my, for my dad, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but the thing, that he, the thing that he told me one day and just shocked me to death is that when we would go to the grocery store, he chose not to walk down the alcohol aisle. And I, my brain was like, well, why not? I've never seen my dad touch liquor in my whole life. I, I mean, never even shown, express any interest. And yet he knew his own walk and knew that if he walked down the liquor aisle, he'd be more, more than likely more, more tempted to go back and walk according to the desires of the flesh. And so for him to walk after the Spirit was to skip the liquor aisle. Can I just tell you, I can walk down the liquor aisle all day long, and it doesn't affect me a lick. I have, I've never tasted it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I may have. There's a couple times I'm, I think I got fooled by some folks. But anyways, I, there's no desire. There's no attraction for me there. You understand So for me, I can walk down there all day long and never feel the pull of the flesh. So you you hear what I'm saying? There's no law for that. But there is action that brings results. What you do does matter. But mostly to you and your relationship with God. Amen. Now, there are times when I need to be careful what I do and say so I'm not an offense to other people because that also would be walking after the Spirit. Well, I don't care what they think. Oh, yeah, you just hooked arms of the flesh all day long. The moment you say, I don't care what they think, that's all flesh. That is exactly what the flesh would say. The, the Spirit will not say that. The Spirit will not say that. The Spirit will say, am I being a hindrance? I don't want to be a hindrance to another believer. It's Christmas time. For years in Springfield, we'd staff Christmas party. And in, in Missouri, there were still some, you know, still leftovers of some of the dry counties and stuff like that. So there are many people there who would not eat at a restaurant that served liquor. They just wouldn't. Now, my pastor could have said, seriously, I don't care what you think, let's go. But he didn't. He chose to out of respect for the staff that would not, pick a place that did not serve liquor. Why? Because he did not want to be a hindrance to their walking after the flesh. He wasn't limiting himself to the law, and he wasn't saying, I don't care. Now, I guarantee you he had an opinion, but in reality and in action, he did what was walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Why? Because if they're bothered by it, then I need to be bothered by it. So I'm just going to, not bothered by the action bothered by it's bothering them. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to choose to walk. Are you, everybody following me? Amen. Your walk with the Lord is not about doing whatever I want and getting away with it, and it's okay. And it's not about, I've got to obey everything that I think might be possibly a law in the Bible and even some that I find that might be, look like they're a law. No, that's not, walk, that's not being a believer either. What being a believer is, is realizing there is no condemnation on either side. I am free before God to do whatever I want. 
but the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and I do want to do right. I, I do whatever right is. So I'm going to learn to follow after the Spirit. I'm going to get in the book and find out what it says about my life, about my life with others, about my life as an employee, about my life as a husband. And I'm going to look in there and say, if that's what pleases God, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And then watch what God does when I try. Watch him reach around me and place his strength on top of me and say, okay, if you're, if you're going to go this way, you got my power. We're ready to roll. Let's go do it. Amen. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but thank the Lord, we can choose to follow the Spirit. We don't have to follow the flesh. Dear Father,